If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In this episode of Behind the Headlines, we are joined by news managers Monica Scott out of Grand Rapids and Leanne Smith out of Ann Arbor, and we're talking about mental health in the school system, both during the lockdown and COVID at large. Let's jump into the conversation right now. So let's jump into it with Monica and Leanne. And my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content for MLive, the one, the only, the legendary, John Heiner. John, how are you? <laughs> wow, I don't know if I can live up to that, my friend. I, I want you to try, though. Okay, well, uh, coming to you live this morning from Ice Station Zebra, somewhere <laughs> in southern Michigan, um, it literally... You hear the wind howling or coyotes. Uh, I just happen to be back by my window. So, uh, you know, I know that I don't want to date this podcast, but uh, the mission just finally got the kind of storm we're known for here in the winter. So, um, you know, one thing about the weather, it, it does have the effect of taking our minds off our problems from time to time and gives us a new problem to deal with. But um, a few weeks ago in a column and in past podcasts, Eric, we have talked about a lot of aspects of COVID and the lockdown, but the mental health aspects. MLive had already had a reporting project going on before COVID hit the pandemic on mental health deficiencies in Michigan, both this, the mental health system itself, but you know, just ways that, that we haven't dealt with uh, destigmatizing mental health issues and bringing them to the surface here in Michigan. And the pandemic has just layered on um, whole new dimensions to this as people struggle to keep their jobs or businesses, they work from home. But one of the big areas uh, that it's been uh, probably underreported uh, given the impacts it's had is on uh, youth, on children in education and schools. Um, schools form a framework socially, um, physically, mentally for kids um, that has been really disrupted in the pandemic. So MLive has kind of doubled down on our coverage on mental health aspects by exploring and putting a lot of resources into exploring and writing about issues related to schools, children, teachers, families. And this week we, we published a, uh, a lot more stories about this with testimonials uh, from people who are being affected by this. And so on today's podcast, I'd like to introduce and bring on Monica Scott, who's a news manager in Grand Rapids. And Leanne Smith, who's a news manager for us in Ann Arbor. Good morning, ladies. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. Good morning. Good morning. So I mentioned that this, mm. these stories aren't just stories. We've got video, uh, time that we've spent in conversations with teachers, parents, and even children. Um, I think we even had uh, interviewed a four-year-old. <laughs> Looking at the various dimensions of the lockdown and the disruptions of school activities on mental and emotional health, or especially for children. So why don't you start with just telling us what the, the genesis of the ideas behind doing this reporting and, and getting these, these actual voices uh, on camera and in, in audio so we could share their, their testimonials firsthand. Well, we are 
constantly hearing uh, via email, via messages, via social media from parents who are literally at the end of their rope at this point um, in the COVID pandemic with virtual learning, um, having trying to juggle their own jobs with their kids' education. And it, it really, um, it, it spanned all ages from four-year-olds, mm-hmm. like John said, through college students who are, are struggling with being isolated away from home and family a lot of the time, or isolated from their school friends and family too in dealing with this. And the thing that I think stood out to me with the testimonials that we did was how raw they were. Um, I mean, they gave you chills when you listened to the emotion in their voices and just how difficult this has all been on them in a variety of ways. Um, The kids, on the other hand, they're just really bored. that they just are really done with not being in a classroom or being on a, a, a sports team or band or theater, choir, you know, whatever they're doing. It was just, and they were so anxious to talk about all of this. They seemed really grateful that our, our reporters, our schools, reporters were reaching out to them to just ask them how they were doing. I think, you know, people appreciated uh, the candor and I think the stories, as Leanne said, resonated with so many families across the state because that's what they've been experiencing throughout this whole ordeal. You know, they constantly talk about the struggle um, and just, and one of the other things about this whole thing is that I would say maybe at least three or more years ago, the issues of mental health and, and you know, anxiety, depression, the level of that in K-12 was starting to get more attention by educators, by the state. They started to ramp up their uh, social workers, their counselors in the schools. Um, But even then they would tell you that this is, the pandemic has just exasperated that. Um, Everything that was already uh, being experienced by kids. I mean, as Leah said, you you could feel, you know, the weight of the whole experience on these families as they spoke about just being helpless. You know, she talks about them being at the end of the rope. You know, we've heard from so many families, you know, from primary to secondary schools to colleges talking about how helpless they feel. They see their children struggling. They see the family is struggling as a whole and they're not able to do anything. I mean, because the pandemic is still ongoing. One of the things that struck me in one of the the video interviews that we did was a teacher uh, herself who has children at home. And she talked about how difficult it is to reach her her class, you know, to get through to them and be effective as a teacher. And then meanwhile, she is able to devote that attention to her child who's at home, which she feels that that person has benefited. But if you think about the other 29 kids who don't have that kind of interaction, physical in a classroom, a social setting where you could see body language, where a teacher can react, the impacts on that are going to, I just wonder how long we're going to see the impacts of that in education and society once we get back to quote unquote normal. And Eric and I have talked about, we don't know what normal is anymore and what that will look like when we get to it. But what are you, Leanne and, and Monica, seeing educators talk about about long-term damage or the effects of this? 
I think, you know, what we're hearing is just a, a level of frustration and an understanding that the learning loss uh, is huge. And it's across, you know, all social economic uh, groups, but particularly among, you know, Blacks and Hispanics where you're seeing, uh, you know, the achievement gap widen, whereas there's been so many efforts over the years to close it. And it's, um, and, and also talking as you talk about teachers, uh, you know, the level of engagement that they're used to, their frustration in knowing that they're not able to give their best to the students. I hear that a lot from teachers, teachers that are considered tops in their field that still don't feel like they're able to students perform uh, and master concepts virtually in a way uh, that they could if they were face to face um, and just being concerned about how they address that. And even we've seen in recent weeks uh, from the governor creating a new uh, advisory council to discuss uh, and make recommendations about how to help kids recover from this. We've also had the state superintendent, Michael Rice, make suggestions about adding to the school year, uh, the, the, the minimum instructional days that are required, which is currently 180, to try to catch kids up. But so there's a lot of discussion. Everyone recognizes the impact that this is having. Uh, I don't, and trying to work through a solution. I don't think anyone's come up with a solution, not in Michigan or across the country in terms of how do you fill this huge learning void that kids are in. Kids have really been harmed by this pandemic. Uh, on the nightly news last night, uh, I saw a, a national survey that said 56% of high school students surveyed said that they've been affected in some way or another but drilling down a little more specifically in the reporting that we're doing and i think this uh, monica came out of rockford but uh 15 of 10th through 12th graders say they're feeling feelings of anxiety and nine percent report an increase in depression um so i think everyone's been affected in some way but there's you know, mental health uh professionals are seeing an uptick in reported amounts of anxiety and depression. What aspects of like the work from home or school from home seem to be the most challenging for the students? Well, I think what we heard from parents was um, splitting their time between everything else that they they have to do, whether it's with their own job or caring for a younger child who's home or having multiple children in different classes online. Um, that that was one of the, the biggest things that we were hearing. They were just pulled in so many different directions that they didn't really know what they should be doing and they didn't feel like they were being successful at anything. So, you know, that was a big part of the frustration and the anxiety that they were feeling about that. I think the level of, I think people are appreciating how important engagement is, is being in front of the teacher, her being able to uh, see that puzzled look on your face when you're not capturing something. Um, the that's just the whole learning process, the interaction between the teacher and the student, between the teacher and other students and a classroom from, from the learning aspect, uh, the emotionally just being detached 
virtually, not having any type of uh, being able to have a conversation face-to-face. -face. I think people underestimate the importance of that. On previous podcasts and some of our reporting, we've talked about educational efficiency, which I think is going to take really many years to measure. But there was a one of the women we interviewed, a parent uh, who lived in Flint, and I think it was the mother, the four-year-old, who said the four-year-old's already dealing with long-term unknown health effects from lead exposure and the Flint water crisis. Um, you know, what are we going to have to look at? And I know Governor Whitmer is proposing a $250 million package that's to be used for the mental, emotional, and, you know, educational after effects of COVID. We don't even know when COVID's going to end. But from an educator's perspective, and this is beyond mental health, but how do we, what's the discussions about getting kids back into a level of educational efficiency? Uh, or is, are there too many unknowns with that? Well, that's a good question. I'm not, you know, I don't even know if schools are at that point. Yeah, right now they're just trying to survive and get through um, with the current situation. They are very aware, very cognizant of the learning deficiencies that they're gonna face. I mean, we've heard parents, a lot of parents who have delayed the start of school of a kindergarten student until next year, hoping that things will be back to normal or at least uh, in person more consistently than, than what it is now. Um, it, it's just, I don't know that they really know where to even begin at this point. It's just a matter of survival right now. I think everything is on the table. I mean, in, in regards to what can they do to better support kids. I know a lot of the urban districts have always had partnerships with local groups that provide additional supports, whether that was for literacy or math or other programming for students. And I think you know, that's gonna be important again as they try to help students recover as best they can. I mean, the other thing is we just don't have a good sense of how, how much of a learning loss kids have experienced. We know it's been significant, but how much? Um, but that's, that's you know, gonna be a challenge. As Leanne said, I don't, they're trying to survive. This has been a struggle and they're looking at things. And I think, as I said earlier, everything's on the table to try to consider what can we do uh, to support these kids, particularly students that were already struggling, struggling prior to the pandemic. I think there's a real sense of fatigue. I mean, mm -hmm. Monica and Leanne, Eric, we've all worked from home. We've been doing things so virtually. Um, I. You know, we have found the limits of Teams or Zoom to keep us together when we don't have the social bonds and social interaction. And when I look back on my my school experiences as your child or even in college, so much of the memories and I think the foundation of the experience was social and not just sports and extracurriculars, but classroom, too, and making bonds with teachers or other kid or other kids. Um, and, and, you know, over, we're getting on a year now of not having that. I do know that some schools have gone back uh, and some are, are still out, have been out all year, like Ann Arbor, and that's a little bit controversial, and maybe you could touch on that. Um, so, you know, where is the intersection of keeping kids safe when you're also talking about the emotional safety of kids who cannot be together? 
I mean, yeah, that has been the big debate in Ann Arbor Public Schools, which has been um, in remote or virtual learning since last March. Um, their school board meetings are bombarded, uh, mostly at first by parents who are saying, please give us some kind of an option for in-person learning, especially for younger students and students with special needs who are also struggling with a lack of services that they're used to with speech and language pathologists or physical therapists, um, all of the services that they get from schools that they're getting virtually mostly now, which is not always adequate, we've heard from parents. But then more recently, there's been a number of parents who are speaking up saying, no, I don't feel comfortable with my child being back in a classroom. And part of that is the inconsistency of having to quarantine or having so many staff members in quarantine that there aren't enough people to have school that day. Um, it's the back and forth that a lot of those parents are even more concerned with and, you know, there's some emotional aspect to that, too. My kid's really, really excited to get back in the classroom with their teacher and their friends. And they do that for a couple of days. And then someone has contact with someone who tests positive for COVID-19 and school is shut down again for 10 days in a row. So that that has been the big debate on are we hurting our kids by keeping them out of school for so long or are we jeopardizing their emotional and mental health even more by bringing them back only to, to take that away from them again. I know that uh, in some recent uh, back to school newsletter stories, uh, superintendents have really expressed that frustration of uh, that exposure shutting down the whole school that you have someone have, there's some contact tracing and then it just disrupts the learning. I mean, that's kind of been the whole pattern of the pandemic. Every, you know, from the, the pandemic itself is disrupting learning. When there's a few kids in a building that are exposed and that disrupts the learning. And then there's just the overall toll of the pandemic in terms of the mental health needs. I think it's important to note that uh, in December, uh, the Michigan Department of Education uh, created a network um, recognizing that students so needed help, districts needed help helping students with their social emotional and mental health needs. So they have a network of experts uh, that districts can reach out to and resources for them to try to, you know, support students during this ordeal. Couple, I want to touch on a couple things there, Monica. You, you mentioned our education newsletter. And so I'm mm -hmm. going to do a plug here. Uh, Michigan Schools Education in the COVID Era is a weekly newsletter that, that collects all of the great reporting that our staff around the state is doing on the ramifications of COVID on schools and students. Obviously, the work that we've been doing in the past week with uh, uh, these interviews with parents, teachers, and students fits right into that. It comes out every Tuesday morning and uh, go to mlive.com slash newsletter so you can sign up for that. It's, it's an excellent resource. And it's not just tales from the front. There's a lot of helpful information in there for parents on how to navigate uh, this period. So um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, also, just to touch on, you started to touch on what possibly what outlets are, are there for parents who are looking for help? What can parents do uh, or what can students do who need help? Well, they can definitely reach out directly to the district. Uh, 
because the district still has the social workers, they still have the counselors on site, in some cases, psychologists on site. And then, as I mentioned, with the MDE providing this network, there are resources they can reach out, to, the districts can reach out to, to provide students that support. So they wanna definitely reach directly out to the district to say that my student is having this particular problem so that the district can then uh, direct them to the proper uh, support. Yeah, and our articles do go into the resources, extra resources at both K-12 and college levels that are really putting into mental health resources. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I will in my, I have a column this week, but I will provide the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services hotline number mm-hmm. that people can call if they're struggling uh, with mental health issues related to COVID. So this is behind the headlines. Um, and every week we we talk about issues of that our journalists are not only working on, but how they do it. So just go into the ongoing reporting that we're doing on mental health, but also how did this come about? How did we find these these families, parents, students to talk to us? Um, how are we networking out to find these stories to bring to our readers? Well, we have education reporters in, in all of our MLive offices and they're the experts in their communities. They know people, they know how to connect and communicate with people. So we turned them loose. Basically, Monica and I did and said, find families in your areas that are willing uh, to, to speak openly about what they're going through in hopes that it will help them as well as help others. Uh, and they just did an excellent job. That's uh, Marty Slogter, Melissa Frick, Kayla Miller, Riley, Murdoch and Winter Kiefer, our school's team that works on the newsletter with us. And they just did an excellent job of using their expertise in their communities to find these families who had these very compelling stories um, and were willing to share that with everyone. And as we had said earlier, um, parents are being vocal. I mean, they're expressing their concerns, their, their fears, uh, their hopes uh, to the school board members, to, their, to the people that they've elected about, you know, their children and, and, and how they're faring in this pandemic. And, I, you know, as Leanne said, our teams, our school's teams reporters have uh, tons of sources in those communities. They're listening to families and it was not a hard get to find families to talk to us because they also want to share what they're experiencing with other families in hopes that they can help them. And also in hopes that it can help, you know, with school policy as we go forward in this pandemic, since there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. So, another good segue because I was going to talk about we don't know where the finish line is on COVID. Uh, we don't know. Like my daughter uh, was in the end of her senior year in high school last March when this all hit. So she was that first wave that had a compromise. The sports season ended and graduation ceremonies were compromised and she's been going to virtual college at MSU and she doesn't even talk anymore about when I'm going to go to campus. I mean, those conversations that we were having in the fall have all been deferred and we, it, you know, we have to see infection rates. We have to see these variants. We have to see uh, vaccinations, how they take hold and all of this. So yeah, you know, the, the end is not in sight. And I've always had this kind of emotional device that I use in life. Like we get to this time of year, I'm looking out the window at the snow. I like to have a vacation on the books. I like to know that in March there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to go somewhere. 
And I think as a whole society, we're missing that light at the end of the tunnel and, it, and it's struggling. And there was a quote in one of the stories where someone said, this thing is real. <laughs> it's having real impacts on people. So uh, the last thing I want to ask you both is, you know, what we're digging into now. What, I mean, I know we're going to maintain a focus on mental health and the impacts of the mental health of the COVID and, and other aspects of the pandemic. But um, what are we working on now in education? What are we keeping an eye on? And what, what maybe can our readers and listeners expect? I think one of the key things is the vaccinations. I mean, that's been a huge part in terms of a of uh, schools uh, being able to reopen and not having to continue to shut down with uh, cases that arise. But looking into the vaccinations, uh, you know, the learning loss that I mentioned earlier and how they plan to support students in terms of recovery and getting them back up to where they need to be from, you know, from March, you know, when they, March of last year when they shifted so abruptly and kids just really lost out. I think the districts did a good job of being able to bounce back from that, to plan over the summer, to do a better job with virtual learning going into the school year. But, uh, but yeah, the learning loss, the vaccinations, the outbreaks, uh, things that continue to disrupt learning um, and create this from being a positive experience for, for students. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely with the vac- teacher vaccinations is a big thing that we keep track of and will continue to keep an eye on. Some places are doing it really, really well. Others are not doing it so well. And so we will be looking at, you know, why that's the case. Why Why is it better in some places and, and not in others? Because it does seem to be an important thing for not only school districts, but um, families, parents as well. Um, and they want that that sense of security that comes with the teachers being vaccinated. So that will definitely continue to be a big issue. And um, another thing is like we will continue to look at when do we go back to what might be considered normal and, and what that normal looks like. I, districts are already looking ahead to the fall, believe it or not. Um, no one really knows when this is going to end. So they're trying to strategize and trying to plan um, what to do. Even even into fall before we're, we're done with, with this school year and we'll continue to keep an eye on that as well. The pandemic is also expose the, you know, more so. I mean, I think people forget sometimes that the digital divide is still there. Um, the, you know, some of the issues of uh, the lack of technology in urban communities, uh, high poverty districts, the lack of connectivity in rural areas where kids are not able to have internet service that again has disrupted learning. Well, just like the tentacles of the pandemic reach everywhere, uh, the news that we have to cover and the stories, public service stories we have to do have no end. I thank you and your teams for bringing this great, um, these great topics to the surface and these themes that really need to be discussed. Um, you know, where there's unknowns, that's where journalists step in and we, we try to provide context and, and information for people to make decisions. And I think you and your education team are doing it with this, this very valuable, valuable reporting. And I thank you. And I also hope you all are doing well holding up. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen you guys in person mm-hmm. and uh, I miss doing that. I miss, I miss getting around to our offices and, and sitting around in a room together. So 
I, we all feel what, what uh, these students and, and families are feeling as well. So thank you for joining us on Behind the Headlines today, Leanne and Monica. And again, thanks for the great work your teams are doing. Thanks for the discussion. It's an important one. Thank you, John. And there they go. A big thanks to Monica Scott and Leanne Smith for talking about this very important issue that continues to unwrap itself around the state of Michigan and around the nation. As always, if you like what we are doing, like, review, and share the podcast wherever you are listening to this. And until next week, he is John Heiner, I am Eric Hulkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines.